0: The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. Turn with me, please, to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. Pastor Brian has asked me to bring three messages over this weekend in conjunction with Dr. Where is emphasis on the preciousness of God's word, on the subject of how that word then works its way out in the gift of family and different aspects of family living out of Scripture? So this morning, in both of my messages, this message as well as the the more formal sermon, I'm not going to just tie myself to uh, to to one text, especially not in the sermon. But I am going to try to tether myself to Proverbs 23 uh, this morning as we speak about how to plant convictions, biblical convictions in our children, and then in the sermon to come, how to live out a biblical marriage. And I'm giving you these message, messages against the backdrop of what Dr. Ware is doing, that The Word of God is sufficient for every area of life, as we'll hear him speak about this afternoon as well. And therefore, the Bible is the best marriage textbook and the best parenting textbook on the market until this very day. And it's under that paradigm that we're going to go forward This morning, that will save me from having to explain a lot of things. I can just jump right in, okay? Uh, Let's read Proverbs 23. I'm just going to read from 12 to 26. 12 to 26. Hear the word of God. Apply thy heart unto instruction and thy ears to the words of knowledge. Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with a rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell. My son, if thy heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice, even mine. Yea, my reins shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things. Let not thy heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. For surely there is an end, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thy heart in the way. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of the flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old, Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. My son, give me thy heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Let's pray. Beautiful, glorious, God of truth, of wisdom, of understanding, in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, come and visit us now. Come and bless us now, and help us as parents, and grandparents, and perhaps great-grandparents, to instill convictions in the generations to come, biblical convictions about Thee, about truth, about who man is, and what we need as we travel to eternity, and how to live the Christian life. Lord, use this message this morning to assist parents in training their children in the ways of the Most High God, that we as parents and grandparents may be like Solomon, giving wisdom and other wise authors of the Proverbs, giving wisdom and understanding to children. And take take our children, Lord, and bless them with that wisdom by thy Holy Spirit working in the core of their being, in their inmost heart, the wonderful truths of the Word of God so that they would grow up and be principled Christians, living contagiously, living intentionally, living the whole counsel of God, seeking to honor thee by being Bible Christians, Christ-centered Christians to the glory of thy name. We ask all this out of free grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, perhaps you know, as my wife and I know, what it's like to have your children be given to another in marriage. You go through a lot of nostalgic feelings. You know, parenting is sort of like little birds in a nest. And you've got to let them go. There's no more toys to trip over in the house until the grandkids come. (laughs) Things are different. You've done your best. You've failed many times. But God is merciful. You trust Him for that. You've tried to instruct your children countless times about work, about marriage, about children, about church, about politics, about personal life. You hope when they leave the home that, secretly you hope, that they'll come back to you for advice sometimes. That you've been a trusted counselor and a friend and a real father. And a real mother. And yet, you kind of wish you could do it all over because you think you'd do it a lot better and then you think maybe I wouldn't do it better because I'm still a sinner. So you go through a lot of emotions, don't you? But one thing is true. You'll never play on the living room floor and wrestle with those grown children the way you once did. Those days are past. So what do you want? Well, what you want to do is you want to be able to look your son and daughter, your married son, your married daughter in the eye and say, God forgive me for my shortcomings, but he knows and you know. I have tried to instill in you the biblical convictions in the depths of your heart of the whole counsel of the Word of God. And if if you don't follow the Word of God on the judgment day, you'll be lost forever. But if you do, if you've listened and taken to heart my counsel, my trying to teach you wisdom and understanding, and you by grace have embraced the Lord Jesus Christ and intentionally lived for him, you will meet me on the right side of Christ. And we will enjoy eternity forever. So what you want to do as a parent, isn't that true, as a grandparent, you're striving with God's help to put an internal biblical compass in the heart, in the heart of your loved ones. Even as you know that the Holy Spirit alone can do it. But he uses you as a means. So also here, We are co-laborers with the Holy Spirit in instilling these convictions in our children. So you can be a macho, authoritarian figure in the home and force your children to obey you. But when they get out of the home, they'll go their own way. But if you can instill in them, by the grace of the Spirit, a love for truth, a love for the Bible, a love for Jesus Christ, a love for the triune God, a love for the saints. You see, then that beautiful text, train up a child in the way that he shall go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. You may get great joy in life in seeing such texts in the Bible fulfilled. So the irony the irony of all our labor with our children and grandchildren is that we can't do the most important thing that needs to be done for them. With all our effort we can't give them a new heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. We can't give them the Holy Spirit only he can do that. But what we can do is plant seeds of bible truth in their hearts in their minds that by the grace of the Spirit may bear fruit as they grow to maturity. And that's why the wise man in the book of Proverbs, with all his love for his children, all that tenderness with which he says, come to me, my son, I'll teach you understanding. And with understanding, I'll give you wisdom. With all of that love and that heartfelt conviction, to put heartfelt convictions into our children, we are aiming at the heart. We are aiming not just at outward behavior, that too, indirectly. But the heart, the heart, that's what it's all about. Ted Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, right? That's the important thing. Now in Proverbs 23, The word heart appears seven times. Seven times. For example, in verse 19, a parent exhorts his child, hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thy heart in the way. Give heed to parental instruction from the word of God, from the heart. For when the heart is connected with the Bible, the Bible will make the child wise unto salvation. Out of the heart... Proverbs 4 says, flow the issues of life. So our goal is not to make little robot children who are afraid of mom and dad and just do what they say because they have to. Our goal is not to make little Pharisees who are clean on the outside but rotten and dead within. But our goal is to get beyond the outward behavior and reach the consciences, the minds, and the hearts of our children to train their inmost being by informing their minds and shaping their consciences and crying out to God to bless our efforts with his saving grace so that they will live by the faith of the Son of God. Come to hate sin. Come to love Jesus. Come to want to walk in faithful obedience to God's commandments. So, How can we plant godly convictions in our children? Well, I want to give you six principles this morning from the passage I've just read to you. Principle number one, discipline with mercy. Discipline with mercy. Look at verses 13 and 14. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with a rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Young children, I'm speaking now roughly age eight and younger, uh, not infants, so let's say two to eight, will at times need a spanking. After you've instructed them, after you and they still are obedient and they show rebellion, there are times they will need a spanking. That's what Proverbs says. And the rod of chastening must be applied not to injure the body, and certainly not to give the child what his sins deserve, because if any of us got what our sins deserve, we'd we'd all be dead and we'd be in hell. But only to curb his natural tendency to choose evil and reject good because we want to train and mold his conscience, his heart, his mind. So administering corporal discipline is one of the most unpleasant aspects of ruling a household in a godly way. I don't know about you, but I I am really convinced it was a lot harder for me to spank my children than it was for them to receive the spanking. I, I I did not like spanking my kids, but I had to tell them, God has put me. He's loaned you to me to train up for Him, and so I have to do what He wants me to do. And as a father, He chastens all His children. I must chasten you when you persist in the ways of sin and don't repent. That's my duty. I'm to be in God's stead. So, notice that the wise man says, withhold not the rod, the rod of correction. He doesn't say the rod of wrath. Parental discipline must conform itself, therefore, to the example of our Father in heaven, whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Proverbs 3 says. So the motive of our discipline is love, not anger. The manner is paternal, not judicial. And the primary aim is correction, not punishment. You see, discipline can go wrong if you don't keep in mind that you are acting in God's stead. And if you feel a temper rising within you, and you express that anger to your child, it will go wrong, and you'll work bitterness in the heart of your child. Ephesians 6 verse 4 says, provoke not your children to wrath. If you respond in wrath to their misdemeanors and to their moral infractions, you will provoke them to wrath. So never forget that when you discipline, you're disciplining in God's name. He's put the rod of correction in your hand. You are a steward of that rod on his behalf. Now, according to the Bible, when you are God's representative, you must administer discipline with the following three characteristics. Number one, love. Number one is love. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord? Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Neither be weary of his correction, for whom the Lord loveth he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delights. So to discipline without love presents your children with the image of Satan who hates them, not the image of God who loves them. Needy sinners. When Satan afflicts us, his aim is to embitter us against God, to bring about our destruction. When God chastens us, Hebrews 12, you'll remember that, his aim is to make us partakers of Christ's holiness and Christ's righteousness. Love. 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 Remember, when you're about to spank a child, you do this in love. Love. And your child will feel the difference. Number two, you do it with instruction. As many as I love, Revelation 3 says, I rebuke and chasten. This is Christ speaking. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So you must combine rebuke and chastening with an explanation of what your child has done wrong of what repentance looks like, and how free and sure is the grace Christ shows to those who forsake their sins. Because you want your child's conscience to resonate with the justice and goodness of what you've just done. So, when our oldest was three years old, it's the first time we read Ted Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, and I decided that the way he suggested discipline was, was really quite good, and I followed it. So I would, if I had to discipline a child, I would take that child into a separate room. That room had a lot of windows around it in the back end of the house. We called it the sun room, the, the discipline room. And the sun was shining in all the time. And, but then and we could shut the doors, because I want to discipline with dignity, so... Brother, sister, you're excluded. I'm dealing one-on-one with this child, right? And so you bring the child into the room. You sit him down. And in a calm but earnest voice, you say, do you realize, do you realize what, what you've done wrong? And maybe the child doesn't fully realize, and you explain it. And then you talk to the child and say, you, you need to repent of this. God is displeased with all sin. Will you repent of this? If the child says, uh, sorry. That is not sorry. You look me in the eye now. Do you understand why God hates sin? Do you understand that daddy has to spank you now to correct you out of love? Are you sorry for your sin now? And hopefully, by round two, they'll say, yes, I'm sorry. Now, each child is different. And this doesn't work quite as well on one child as another sometimes, I'm afraid. Our firstborn, it really actually seemed to work very well. And what would happen was I would tell them how many spankings i give them. If it was a serious moral infraction, I said, I'm going to give you three. If it was a medium moral infraction, I'd give you two. It was a lighter one, I give you one. And uh, he seemed to be able to sustain spankings, on the rear end of course, uh, very well, without feeling the pain very much. So I had to I had spank a little bit harder than, than the girls because, I mean, he didn't feel anything. So I laid him across my lap and, and spanked him. According to, I told him ahead of time what I was going to do. And then I would scoop him up in my arms and I'd say to him, let's pray now, and we'd pray, and we'd walk out, and he would take my hand as we walked out, which was such a beautiful thing, the girls didn't do that, but it was a beautiful thing, (laughs) he'd take my hand, it was just like he was saying, okay daddy, I understand, and there's closure now, and it was, it was so beautiful, I thought, well, it's it's certainly going to work that way with the girls as well, but no. So you, you need to find ways also of, of, of using the rod. It doesn't mean always that it's a spanking. It needs to hurt without doing any damage. So another child we had, oh, wow, if I just went like that, that would be terror. There'd be a, it would just be falling apart. There'd be so much tears and so much... It, was just, it just didn't work. So, but that child put her in her room alone for 10 minutes, and it would do exactly what the spanking would do for my son. So, yes, spanking is needed, but you learn to, you learn to adjust this form of discipline according to what works for the child. You need to find something that finds a certain measure of pain that will form the conscience. And, uh, but in every case, no matter what, you're instructing the child, instructing the child, what's wrong and why they cannot behave that way. And then once the discipline is administered and you embrace the child, it is forgotten, okay? You never bring it up again. Just like in a, the worst thing you can do in a marriage is bring up something old that's resolved. Right? Spurgeon said, when we forgive one another, we've got to be like a man who buries a dead dog. You don't leave its tail sticking up above the ground. <laughs> you don't come back and say, this is the second time you've done this. You did it 12 years ago. No, no, it's been forgiven. Same thing with your children. Parents make a big mistake when they keep bringing things up that have already been resolved. And number three, when we discipline, we don't only use love and instruction, but we use compassion. Compassion. Psalm 103 says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. Well, if God... Disciplines us with compassion. And he's sinless. Shouldn't we discipline our loved ones with compassion when we have hearts that have done the very same things that they're doing? So when you discipline your children, you need to remember your own heart. You're not Mr. or Mrs. Perfect, who's never done any sin. You say, there but for the grace of God, go I with regard to the sin of my child again. You enter into your child's experience. You recall the power of temptation, the unruliness of your own heart. You identify with your child as a sinner who needs to profit from correction. I'll never forget the day. My son and I were walking out of the sunroom and he, had, he took my hand And as we're walking out, he looks up at me and he goes, Dad, how come you never sin? I was like shocked. I go, let's go back in the sunroom. (laughs) We sit down and I said, son, this is what I told him. I said, I'm just as big a sinner as you are. I need God's help. I need God to spank me too. I need God's help every day. We're just sinners, and we have to fly to the Savior. Don't you ever think your dad is not a sinner. I want to be an example for you, but I come short all the time, son. Pray for me that I won't sin, and I'll pray for you that you won't sin. Yeah. So corporal discipline, lovingly and justly used. Commensurate with the degree of moral infraction that has been committed, helps to form moral and religious convictions in your child. And you have one thing going for you, that is, even in God's common grace, every child's conscience testifies that there is a God who commands us to do right and forbids us to do wrong, and that those who disobey God by doing wrong deserve his punishment. Romans 1, 19 and 20 Romans 2, 14, and 15. This is natural, even in the heathen. And so what you're doing is you're forming that conscience and bringing it more out to light. So children mature in understanding moral issues and God's will and the fear of God. So that's number one. Principle number two. You rejoice openly in the wise choices of your children. Look at verses 15 and 16. My son, if thy heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice even mine. Yea, my reins, that is the seat of my emotions in the inward parts, shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things. So if you want to shape your children to do what is right, to, from the heart, you want to build convictions in them that are biblical, you must not only correct them when they go astray, but you must also share your rejoicing in your heart when they walk in the ways of the Lord. Now, I've had people in my churches, and even I struggled with this a little bit when my kids were young, who are afraid of praising their children, lest it foster pride in them. Now, there's a balance, of course, here. You shouldn't you should praise your kids like overly much on every little thing they do. So, like, you know, you're totally unrealistic. You know? Um, that just works in a child, the idea that everything I do is just grand and glorious. And that's not a way to raise a child either, is it? But on the other hand, Jesus says to his people on the day of judgment, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Jesus rewards his people. True, it's a gracious reward, because it's only by his grace that we do the good works. But it is a reward. There is happiness in Jesus when his people walk in his ways and and honor him. So commending a child for doing what is right is a duty that we also owe them in the Lord, and it will help build the conviction, the positive conviction. There is joy in doing the will of God. So Christ taught us that we should find motivation to serve the Lord in the knowledge that the Father knows what we do, and he will reward us publicly with heavenly treasure, Matthew 6 says. So a child of God wants to live in the joyful obedience of God with a sense of his father's smile upon him for Christ's sake. And so parents ought to be quick to smile at their children, quick to compliment them, quick to affirm their children with words of praise and other appropriate rewards. Now, I'm not saying you should reward every little thing they do. No, they need, they, they need to understand, don't they, as they grow up, that they should have certain chores that they don't get money for. This is part of living. You do your share of the work in the house, but, but you do thank them. My mother was uh, amazing at this. She was so thankful for everything we did for her that we, we just wanted to do things for her. As, but she also always gave us a smile. We Always felt like she was there for us. More than my dad. When I was a young man, or yeah, maybe 10, 11. Um, my parents used to have this, um, in Dutch we call it, gezelschappen, but uh, in English there's no good word for it. I would call it a spiritual fellowship gathering. This goes all the way back to the post-Reformation times where God's people would meet in a room and they'd share experiences with each other. They might go through a book, but, they, but the focus was to talk about their fears, their hopes, their joys, and, and, and help each other in their spiritual pilgrimage. And uh, when I was young uh, in Kalamazoo, Michigan, that was still going on, and there were maybe 25 of God's people that would come together uh, once a month and it would often be at my parents' home. And the youngest was about 50. Uh, it was mostly older people. But when I was about 10, I was under a lot of convictions. And so I asked my mother and my father if I could sit in on that. First, they were a little hesitant. But then said, okay, just, just you know, sit there. That's fine. Don't say anything. <laughs> so I wouldn't say anything anyway. But so I was but I felt out of place because who am I to sit there with these really holy people, but I wanted to hear what they had to say. I want to learn from them. And boys and girls, it's very good if you can hear God's people talk, listen to them, learn from them. That's how I felt. But the interesting thing was I felt quite insecure, but I hardly dared look up. But every once in a while I look up, and it seemed like almost every time I looked up, my mother would catch my eye and she'd just smile at me. Saying, it was just like she said, I'm glad you're here, son. That kind of, I remember this. What is this? 60 years later, my mother's smile on that occasion. You see, you need to affirm your children. When they do things that are, are good and right and laudable, when they treat the down and outer with compassion, Go to your child and embrace him and say, you know, I just feel so good that you gave that gift to that boy or you saw that girl on the playground and you took her into your circle of friends or things like that. Just just affirm them. That's what he's saying here. My son, if thy heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice. So rejoice openly in wise choices. Principle number three instill truth, instill truth. <clears throat> Look at verses 22 and 23. Hearken to thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Buy the truth, and sell it not. Also wisdom, and instruction, and understanding. Solomon is borrowing, if it is Solomon, borrowing imagery here from the marketplace. Parents are selling their wares to their children. And he urges the parents to market Precious commodities to their children. What are those precious commodities? Words of truth, words of wisdom, words of instruction, words of understanding. And he says to the children, buy up all you can and hold on to it for dear life. So what that means is that you as dad and mom, you are to teach your children as God's authorized steward not just in family worship, as we heard about yesterday, but by example, that your walk of life would be a living portrait to your children, a walking book, as it were, for your children of how to live the Christian life. In fact, one Puritan said, your life is the second most important book your children will ever read only next to the Bible. They will read you like a book. You you may not think that when your kids are very small, but when they're a teenager, they, they, they know you. They know what excites you. They know what saddens you. They know what moves you. They know what your principles are. They read you like a book. And you see, you're to teach them, not just by words, but by lifestyle. You know that old saying, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks more than your talk talks? That's true in a home. So our example of life is critical here, and our words are critical. And we have to teach our children by also sharing our life, sharing some of our, within reason, some of our failures and some of our lessons we've learned and some of our joys and some of our fears and some of our spiritual experiences. Our children need to hear that. And they need to hear that. We touched on that yesterday a bit. They need to hear that coming to them from you with a degree of passion. These are deep convictions in you. You need to express them with diligence, Moses says in Deuteronomy 6. So the point point here is that we are to instill Truth in our children so that they feel I must buy the truth and sell it not. Truth is worth more than anything in the world. Principle number four we must direct our children to fear and hope in the Lord. Verses 17 and 18 Let not thy heart envy sinners, but be thou, this is the Father talking to the Son, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. For there is an end, and thy expectation, thy hope, shall not be cut off. I probably should tell you that when I was going through a very difficult time in my life, where I just didn't see an end of of it, that, verse 18, Surely there's an end, and thy hope, thy expectation shall not be cut off. I must have repeated that text 15, 20 times a day for years. I never thought I would ever see the end of my trial. And when God finally brought an end to that trial, this promise, I can hardly read it without weeping actually because it's so dear to me. But you see, the, the point of the wise man here is he wants to put this Conviction, the wise parent, in every child. To fear the Lord and to hope in the Lord. And what is it to fear the Lord? There's lots of definitions given in church history. My favorite one is by John Brown. 19th century, very edifying writer. There's lots of John Browns, by the way, about seven of them in church history. You've got to get the right John Brown. But John Brown of Edinburgh said this. To fear the Lord is to value the smile of God to be of greater value than the smiles of people. And to value the frowns of God to be of greater value than the frowns of people. You understand that, boys and girls? It means... When you fear the Lord, God gets bigger in your mind and people get smaller. And you want to instill that in your children. The most important thing is that they fear the Lord. In Jesus, of course, outside of Jesus, God is a consuming fire. But in Christ, you see, he's a father. He's a father. And you want them to respect the Father in heaven and to respect you as a representative of that father with a childlike reverence and fear. And in order to do that, to to instill the fear of the Lord and hope in the Lord, we need to teach our children what life is all about. Life is all about being consecrated to the glory of God. solely Deo Gloria. Children must be taught that the chief end of man, Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And we enjoy him forever in the fear of God, by thinking of him the way the Bible presents him, and by feeling this awesome reverence for God and love for God. That's what you want to instill in your children. So God's glory must trump pardon the word trump all other considerations including our personal life and our family honor. Christians must not become family centered in an idolatrous manner. My goal in raising our children is not to have a little nuclear children that nuclear family that is the be all and the end all. My goal in raising children is that my children may be folded into the larger family, the corporate family of the church, of the living church, and one day will be at the right hand of Christ and become a member of the church triumphant to be with the largest family ever in glory surrounding the throne of the Lamb. And so you want to build a close family, yes, but you don't want to build a family that is its own be-all and end-all. So that this principle, constantly instilling this in your children, we live for a purpose beyond our own immediate nuclear family. We live for the purpose of the glory of God. That instills the fear of God, if the Spirit blesses it, more than anything else. Now, children say many things in their lifetime to you as you raise them, but I, I just want to share one thing with you that um, my son was, our son was converted when he was 15, and he, was, he really got into things like hunting, and, and he had this really important thing happen, this, this door that might go open and might go closed, in his life that was really big in his life. I mean, huge. He came and he talked to me about it. He asked my opinion. I said, yes, that was, that was good. But he was worried he wouldn't be able to, to get it. I won't, I'll spare you all the details. But the important thing was, on the morning, the decision had to be made. He wrote me this note, which I, I've kept till today. Dad, if the Lord gives this to me, I'll praise him. If he doesn't give it to me, I'll praise him. Because he gets the glory for everything. I was just broken when I read that. Just broken. I mean, only God can do this. I can tell him this, that this is needed. But only God can do this. And... The joy, the joy of seeing your children walk with the Lord. John John says it, doesn't he? I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in the truth. And when you see the Lord honoring your poor, feeble efforts at building convictions in your children, the joy, it's worth all the effort. It's worth all the prayers, all the tears, all the cries. Principle number five. You warn them against destructive lifestyles. Destructive lifestyles. And I'll, I'll be brief here because there's so much that could be said. But Proverbs 23 presents three examples of these lifestyles. Look at verse 20 and 21. Here's the warning against a self indulgent lifestyle. You know, the lifestyle of the Epicurean. We just want to have fun, be eat, be drink, and be merry. Verse twenty twenty one 21 says, Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh, for the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. So we need to teach our children the principles of hard work and warn them against wasting money to gratify the appetites of the body and the poverty that results from failing to get out of bed and go to work for the glory of God. A self-indulgent lifestyle can take all kinds of forms. It can be an obsession on electronic communications, and entertainment. Many children can waste hours playing video games, screen-watching movies, using various apps to send messages and share media. It's endless. You've got to have some rules and guidelines for these things in your home so that they don't end up in a self-indulgent lifestyle. I want to do always what I want to do. So we need to warn them that life is not about pleasing myself and not disciplining myself. Life involves hard work and service to others for the glory of God, and there's joy in accomplishing worthwhile things. Paul says, if any would not work, neither should he eat. Secondly, be warned against a sexually immoral lifestyle. Look at verses 27 and 28. A whore is a deep ditch and a strange woman, strange because she's not your wife, that means, is a narrow pit. She also lies in wait as for a prey and increases the transgressions among men. So we must teach our children not to see those who would seduce them as people who care about them, but as robbers who will steal what is precious and then leave them humiliated and ashamed. And thirdly, we must... Warn against substance abuse lifestyle. Actually, I, I didn't take the time to read that, but that's verses 29 through 35, which offers a huge, prolonged, vivid description of the problem of alcohol and its addiction. And I just summarize it in one sentence here. If you look at the text uh, and, and, and travel it with me a minute, Given that alcohol or drugs are often a gateway to social acceptance for young people, our children must be taught how mind-altering substances destroy friendships, verse 29, promote contention, incite violence, and impair the body. Then verse 30, determine our social lives. Verse 31, enslave our senses. Verse 32, bring pain and death. Verse 33, corrupt our minds and speech. Verse 34, cause us to lose control of our bodies and thoughts. Verse 35, numb our healthy sense of pain so that we don't know when we're in grave danger and make us ultimately willing slaves. So we've just got to warn them against these uh, hopeless lifestyles. Principle, wicked lifestyles. Principle number six. Set a trustworthy example. Now look at verses 20, verse 26 and 22. My son, give me thy heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. And verse 22, trust me to guide you, is what, really what give me thy heart means. Trust me to guide you. The father is asking his son to watch how his father lives and to follow him in the same path of obedience. If you take biblical truth lightly and you joke about sacred things, so will your son, so will your daughter. You're modeling for them a life of deep convictions. And so this is the way to live. This is the way to instill convictions by being a man of conviction yourself being a mother of conviction, yourself. And as you train their hearts, what you're doing is they grow older. You're giving them more and more responsibility, but you're trusting that the training of their heart will enable them to make understanding decisions and wise decisions. Proverbs 23, not only, but the whole book of Proverbs is teaching so there's all kinds of little ways you, you, you build convictions like this. Uh, going down a highway, you see an accident. What do you do? You can't stop. You can't help the people. You keep going, but you immediately break out into prayer as a family. You're praying. So what do you, you teaching your kids implicitly? Whenever someone's in need, you pray for them. Conviction. So... I would hope that our children today would feel guilty if they rode by an accident and and wouldn't pray for the individual. Because that's one of those, what Puritans would call, holy habits that we try to instill in in our children. Or what do you do when when your children are old enough to to handle a cell phone and you've built convictions in them? Well, you don't just give them a cell phone. Say, now you're of age. But you say something like this. Don't you? My daughter, this cell phone can do a lot of damage in your life. We're trusting you now. We've tried to build convictions in you. And what we want you to do is we want you to go up to your bedroom, get down on your knees, lay the cell phone in front of you on the bed. And we want you to cry out to God that you will never, never, never use this cell phone to sin. But you only use it for the good and wise purposes that it can be used for. And so, in all of these ways, there's so many ways you can build convictions in your children. But Proverbs 23 is just one part of one chapter of Proverbs. The whole book is about building convictions in your children, really. So Proverbs is a very good book to read with your children. Well, let let me close, let me close with, with this. You want to build convictions at different stages of life. And I'm gonna just give you four quick stages. I'll just close in two or three minutes here. The first stage is regulation. When your children are very young, very young, say uh, zero to 10, what you're doing is you're building by regulation, well, maybe one to 10. So they start to understand things you say. You're giving them rules. You're telling them black and white, this is right, this is wrong. You're giving them truths of the Bible you're disciplining them you're restoring them to the path of obedience stage 2 i call participation this is maybe ages 11 to 14 or so where they're getting older they need to know all the reasons why these rules are there and how they apply and they need to start growing and making their own decisions and like my dad used to do we'd say you know dad can can we go to the neighbor's house and and watch this movie with a friend. And he's, he'd say, Well, uh, what's the movie about? And, and then when we were about 14, he'd say, well, You go up into your bedroom, get down on your knees and pray about it, and ask God if you can glorify him by watching this movie, and then you make the decision. Stage three integration. Integration. 15 to 19 or so. This is when our, our, our young people become older, and they do make a lot of their own decisions. And we kind of stand as a participant, indirectly, guiding them when we see them going astray, affirming them when we see them make right decisions, but giving them more freedom. And the final stage is supplication. This is when they're out of your home, and you learn to pray for them, that God will bless all that conviction building you've done all their lifetime, that he'll bless it savingly to their souls so that they will live in Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus, through Jesus, to Jesus, soli deo gloria. Let's pray. Gracious God, please bless. Bless this time. And go with us now and help us to go out and be wise men, wise women, mothers, fathers, grandparents, great-grandparents, and raise our children, our loved ones, our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, in the fear of the Lord, seeking to build convictions with our talk and with our walk. And do bless it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.